And we're back um, with Kafaru Cast. We've still got uh, South and his partner in crime here, uh, Cox with Stalker Stick Bows, and then Frank is playing with his microphone. That's code word across <laughs> from me. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about gear, footwear, a little bit of everything, right? On uh, this Sounds go around, good. yeah. Um, before I forget, though, we mentioned it on the last podcast, just to make sure everybody's listening on this first uh, first part of this one. You're looking for a uh, potential new employee. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I've had the blessing of kind of outgrowing my workforce here and, you know, building bows. And I'm, so what I'm looking for is somebody with some, uh, Rhino cam slash CAD experience, um, and somebody to kind of do some more of the computer oriented stuff there in the office. Um, you know, maybe help out with some of the social media if they're have an interest or background in photography, video slash video editing, photography, you know, photo editing. Um, maybe some, it'll be able to be some shipping and receiving, kind of just a general all around stuff in the office. And then also, I'm sure that, um, you know, that wouldn't take up all of the time. There'd be an opportunity to get in there and and I uh, also, you know, work with the bow building aspect, but primarily um, what I'm looking for is, is uh, experience with Rhino Cam and Rhino CAD. And if uh, somebody's got a background in that and is looking for um, a move to Colorado and, um, you know, an opportunity to work in the outdoor industry um, with, you know, some paid vacation, some paid holidays, um, and, uh, you know, opportunity to build some cool stuff then uh, reach out to me either on social media at stalker stick bows on facebook stalker stick bows on instagram or my um you know personal page south cox on facebook or email me south at stalker and i'd definitely be interested in talking to you well cool well there you go people it's a great job opportunity if you're working at home depot it's definitely a step up um you actually you you could probably um i mean i would bet in the next few years if you're growing like you are hopefully you won't even have to work anymore you can just chill and oversee and go hunting yeah i mean that wouldn't be the worst thing personally though i mean i love what i'm doing so um you know having to work is not really a it's not really have to work it's get to work um i i mean i have if i wasn't getting paid to do this and was this would be my side side gig where I'd be out there tinkering around in my shop and stuff. So, I mean, my, my shop is connected to my house. So, you know, I usually, I get up at four o'clock in the morning, I'm out there making sawdust, trying not to let the neighbors hear. And, <laughs> you know, and then I, I'm working till five, five thirty in the evening and, and out there on uh, Sunday mornings as well. So it's a, uh, it's a passion project for me. It's something I really enjoy doing and not that I wouldn't mind getting out there and hunting more though. Yeah. Yeah. No, hunting is good. Hunting is good. So, well, so what, uh, what all did you want to cover on gear? I know you had a little bit of a list, which I'm sure we'll see several squirrels and rabbit holes, um, as we're talking about those. Certainly. So, um, you know, I've been listening to your podcast and when you're with the, doing stuff with gritty there and, and I have taken note that you, um, you are not only a floorless shelter, um, user, but then with the, uh, um, tents that you are, um, just Hilleberg. Hilleberg. Yep. And I can't believe it slipped my mind there again, but, uh, you are 
you know, a strong, a big fan of Hilberg's and I've used those myself as well. And, and, uh, there's definitely some things that I can, I can see the light with those tent designs. One is, you know, they're more of a, even their three season tent is probably more of a four season than a lot of what four season tents advertise themselves and as, and then I can, their, their design where you set them up kind of more of a European design where the, uh, you know, the, rain flies attached to the tent body so you set the whole thing up at one time is definitely a fantastic um, design as far as you know if you're in the rain and you're setting your tent up there's nothing worse than setting your the shell of your tent up getting poured on and then having to pull your rain fly on over the top um, i dealt with that situation with my hunting partner a couple of years ago up there in colorado um, he had come into tent or into camp and, and, uh, I can't remember what brand of tent he had. Um, but it was, you know, the typical American design with the, um, with the mesh, you know, essentially mesh body and then, uh, you know, rain fly over the top. And I'm trying to hold a tarp, you know, to keep the pouring rain off of him and, and his tent and the, you know, winds whipping and, and the tents flapping like a blanket in this in a windstorm and and it was just a mess um but uh there's a, a couple of things that you know i really um can appreciate from a design aspect with that the hilberg tents but a couple of things that that troubled me with their designs um one is they're kind of their low ceilings in a you know of course that's going to be a benefit in the wind it's going to be less likely to get blown around but it's also you know you're kind of even for a guy that like myself that's not doesn't cast a real long shadow there's uh you know you're kind of stooped over in your tent there um while you're getting ready the vestibule seem to be a little bit more cramped and then you know as part of the design being four season with the rain flies coming down you know lower to the ground if you set up in in an area where you got any kind of grass, then, uh, you know, condensation becomes more of an issue or more of a challenge. Um, and I'm, you know, personally, I like the uh, more of that kind of um, MSR hubba hubba style tent. It doesn't necessarily have to be that manufacturer, but if you take that basic design, um, you know, you kind of have more like a 42 inch, you know, ceiling height. Um, the ivy you know i like that dual vestibule when you can get a tent with that design um you know so you can kind of stow your gear on one side of your tent um and then you have still have an area to put your boots and and uh your um you know your backpack and what have you and, and uh dry out essentially or cook without having to have your stove inside your tent right yeah no and that makes sense i mean the the I mean, with the Hillebergs, they make, I mean, a lot of models almost at a confusing level, like the, the onion, which is the one where the, the vestibule kind of sweeps down low. It's got a decent head height. That one gets some condensation, especially in the foot box. Um, the Nyack is more what you're describing. That one, I think you would like, it's a little bit heavier than the, the hubba, um, they call it a two, but it's not a two, even from a two person standpoint, it's not a two, it's a uh, 1.5. Um, but I mean, I think, um, you know, going back and forth and I've used a, a ton of different, you know, shelters kind of screwing around with them. Um, you know, we were talking about this earlier. For the most part, we've gone back and forth each year from um, 
you know, three season and four season shelters to the tarp, to the tarp bivy or tarp stove uh, combo. And uh, it was interesting talking to you about it earlier because it's, um, I mean, last year we ran Hilleberg's um, through the summer months and, and uh, most of the season uh, just so we have a relatively intelligent um I guess background to speak about different shelters where if we just run Kafaru all the time, right. it's pretty poor shit. You know, <clears throat> you can't really speak intelligently about anything. Um, I would say downside to, to Hilleberg's is weight and price are the big ones. After that, the condensation would probably be number three. Um, I think your tent is three or two pounds, eight ounces or two twelve. Is that right for the hubba? Yeah, if you, I think you go with the carbon poles, which I would not recommend. <laughs> yeah, they break. <laughs> yeah, I've had uh, two pole failures in in you know higher winds in uh, Colorado, where um, you know I was kind of I was set up in a more exposed area, and um, one of them was uh, they're both MSR hubba tents, but they're the Easton carbon poles. And it wasn't the carbon part that broke. It was the aluminum connection between the poles. But what happens when you have a pole break um, and you have the, a tent design where your poles, where your rain fly stretched over your, um, your pole is and that pole shoots through your rain fly. Not only does your tent collapse, but then it tears a giant hole in your rain fly. Um, so that, that design where your poles are on the outside of your rain fly, which MSR is now making a tent with that design and a, you know, basically a extra, extra large vestibule, which I, you know, really am intrigued by just from a storage, you know, space storage standpoint. Um, but I had, I had that happen to me twice. The first time, luckily one of my hunting partners had a spare tent in camp. The second time I had a, beefed up gear repair kit where I had a splice for my tent pole and I had some of that, uh, what is that gear aid? Tenacity um, tape. Tenacity tenacious tape. tape tenacious yeah. tape. There you go. And uh, so I was able to peel off a piece of that and tape it back together again. I was back up and at it. But um, those carbon poles, um, you know, I don't know if, if it's a cast aluminum or what they're using, but it, they should go to something more that's machined. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, Again, as I mentioned to you before we were talking, I think I've seen too many ultralight tents blow down mm -hmm. um, is my problem. When I, I was one of the um, – I got to test that Big Agnes Fly Creek before it was on the market, and uh, we ripped a guy line out pitching it, uh, which initially scares the shit out of you, right? If somebody bought a Kafaru pack and the shoulder strap fell off, they'd probably be a little skeptical. So that made me nervous. Um and then we had some in high winds where the, the poles broke and one the guy line ripped out. And and so that made me nervous. And then there was an Easton Kilo, which was another lightweight uh -huh. tent that blew down on Derek on a it, – it should have blown down, right? It, it's not like the tent didn't perform as it should. Um, when we loaded up, he grabbed my Hilleberg, laughed. Um, we, we contemplated back and forth on bringing a sawtooth and a stove because uh, it was a super early season sheep scouting trip. Um, and I'm like, hey, what if we don't have wood um, and it's super cold? Let's just bring the shelters. Um, his blew down in the middle of the night. He had to sleep in mine. Um, now that was pushing it to the outer limits of snow and wind and everything else. So, I mean, you could say that um, I'm tough for carrying a heavier tent, but you could also say I'm, I'm kind of a chicken shit because I'm so worried they're going to they're going to break. Um, not to say there's anything wrong with some of the three season tents out there, but with everything that I've run for the weight savings, 
um, you know, for me, it, it, uh, cause and we, you can go back and forth on this with the shelter thing. Condensation sucks, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to get condensation in a, um, a single wall shelter, um, you know, like one of our tarps. I never really got any in a hubba, um, to speak of right. at all. I, I mean, I can't remember actually remember getting it at all. Um, yeah. have you had much issue with it? No, the only time that I've had problems is basically when you're at it, you know, that hundred percent humidity where you're getting poured on and the, you know, you're camped out on green grass and, and it's just, there's moisture everywhere in the air and it's just like a mist floating and you can't, at that point you can't avoid it. You know, yeah. it's like breathing inside your sleeping bag. You're going to get wet. Yeah. And, uh, I think that, um, because the rain fly, you know, you have maybe a good six inches, um, before that rain, you know, from the ground to your rain fly. And then you have, uh, you know, some separation between the net walls there of your tent and the rain fly. Um, it, it does a really good job of, um, avoiding that condensation issue. Um, but there are, you know, things that you can do as a user to help, you know, minimize that chance. And, and you know, that being if you have a, a, you know, a chance to set up where you have a little bit of a breeze, um, you know, so that uh, you don't have that dead stagnant air, then that's going to help um, reduce condensation. If you set up in a spot where you're not camping on wet grass or in a damp area, that, of course, is going to help um, at the same time. You know, if you're taking, if you're using an ultralight tent, you have to realize that that's not as sturdy of a structure as something like that Hilberg. And you're going to need to, um, you know, take some precautions setting it up in an area where it's a little bit better protected from the wind. Um, The two times that I had pole breakage, uh, it was, you know, in a more exposed area and um, the wind could just howl through there. And, you know, you'd be, laying there in your tent and the the wind was literally blowing the sidewall of the tent down into your face and then it would let up the gust would let up and it would pop back up again and at that point you know you're kind of looking for a failure i have not ever had a, a an aluminum pole break um which maybe that's just coincidence i don't know if they use the same connectors between um the aluminum you know on the aluminum poles that they do on the carbon but I've had a couple of failures now with those carbon poles and, and, uh, there's not a huge weight penalty going from those, um, aluminum poles to the car or from the carbon to the aluminum, um, you know, maybe, uh, three or four ounces. Yeah. And I think I just wouldn't take my chance. You know, I mean, the carbon pole sounds sexier and the three or four ounces for the guys that are counting ounces, it seems like a good place to shave weight. But in my experience, it's, not the place to do it. Well, and I can say, um, uh, every, um, if you took, let's say a guy and you took three trips, took him on three trips a year for four years, I would bet depending upon how catastrophically shitty or good that specific each trip was, is going to, you know, wax and wane on his gear decision. And I've noticed that a lot because, uh, you know, you go in with just a tarp, let's say it's a pound, you, you gain 4,000 feet and four and a half miles and you love the tarp. It's, 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 it's great. And the weather's not bad. It shades you from the sun and you're good. And then the next trip you've professed for an entire month to how all your friends, how awesome that tarp is. Except that next time you go, the weather's horrible. It rains like a bitch. It snows constantly. It's, it's everything bad. 
Well, then you you don't like the tarp anymore. Right. And so then you go to, let's say, a three-season tent. You use that for the next four trips, and it's awesome. But then on that fifth trip, it blows down. Now you're like, I'm getting a Hilleberg. I'm getting a, a bomb-proof. I'm going to suck the weight up. So let's say that next trip with the Hilleberg, it's an 11-miler, right? And you're gaining and losing 10,000 feet. Yeah, and the weather wasn't bad. Well, screw the Hilleberg. I didn't even need it. And I mm-hmm. think people have to understand there's going to be – my point to that is a compromise and you need to be under, you know, if you're going to go ultra light, you're probably going to suffer some. If you're going to get a heavy tent, you might sleep a little better, but you're going to have to carry the damn thing. Um, and in case like with a three season, I don't think that there's um, uh, necessary, as long as you know what you're getting into, I don't think there's a downside to that either. Meaning I, I encourage guys to stack rocks on guy lines and high wind, um, you know, on the stake points yeah. to, to help collapsing. And I, I would assume I've seen Hillebergs blow down E2, right? They're collapsing on the sidewall, especially on their tube tents. Uh, to to not do the lazy stake job where you half-ass push it in, and then when you're gone all day, a big wind comes up and your tent's blown in half. You need to be cognizant of what you're getting yourself into, I guess, with, with any shelter. Um, and uh, and I don't think any of them are perfect. Um, no, I mean, you could certainly – if you have the good fortune to have the, the money to have multiple shelters, then you can kind of, you know, cater your needs to the shelter, um, you know, utilizing maybe that three-season tent earlier in, in uh, you know, August in the first part of September, depending on the country you're going into, um, and then uh, transition to a beefier tent, you know, maybe if you – like if I was just elk hunting – I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any issue camp, you know, camping down the timber below timber line of using that three season tent, you know, into October. Um, if you're going to be out of the wind, it's going to, you know, it's going to do all right as far as the snow load goes, if you do get a little bit of snow. Um, but you put yourself above timber line and like, you know, a lot of the places I are pretty much all the places I hunt. And then you're either going to have to be, well, either way, it's a good idea to, to, you know, pick your camping spot wisely and try to stay out of the wind just from a, um, you know, a, a gear preservation standpoint. Um, and then particularly if you're using a three season tent, you might not be able to camp exactly where you want because of those, uh, dangers of, of wind there. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I think, I mean, I, out of everything I've used and I think that's what I'm going to go back to, um, I'm just going to bounce back and forth for me between the bivy tarp or just tarp combo. Um, uh, when I say bivy, I'm not talking like total gore, like a hooped bivy. Um, we just got one and it's a pound. It's, a, it's super lightweight. Um, cause a lot of times where we'll camp in specific areas, it's hard to get a tent in even a small three season. Um, sometimes I'll just bring the tarp. Sometimes I'll just bring a bivy and I'll just use that. It just depends. But, um, it's hard to say because it's not, you know, I wax and wane too. There's certain times I've used, I can think one time specifically with a super tarp and I didn't have an annex on it. Uh, there wasn't any wind. I didn't pay attention to the forecast when it did start blowing and it started snowing. I was coming right in the face of my, you know, my tent. I didn't have uh, a bivy. I was on a Tyvek ground sheet. Um, and it kind of sucked. I mean, it wasn't like I was in danger, but I certainly wasn't happy. Um, so there's definitely no right or wrong. I think, Obviously, the podcast, what I try to do, which is why I like us talking about this, is get realistic info from guys that have used it from different perspectives. Um, because even though, like with Frank and I, I mean, what you went back, basically, you've been back and forth between a mega tarp and a Hilleberg. Yeah, I've probably used a tarp 
80, 90% of the time. And then the Hilleberg during, during the summer for fishing trips and stuff. But I, I, I take the bad with the good with the tarp and I like having a lightweight system. So I know what to expect and the condensation does suck, especially when it's raining out and it's <laughs> smacking you in the face when you're sleeping. But, uh, I, I like the tarp, the tarp yeah. setup. I, I just think that, um, but you've never goofed around with a tarp too much, have you? No, I've either gone, you know, just straight bivy under the stars, um, or tent. And mm-hmm. I've spent enough nights in a bivy sack to know that that's not an option I want to do anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'll take that two pound weight penalty and go with a tent, um, where a tent, uh, you know, starts to be a hindrance for me is like hunting, um, where I go in Nevada, where a lot of times your only flat spot is kicking out both ends of the deer bed. And, uh, so you just don't have the square footage for the footprint of a tent. And, uh, um, then, you know, a a bivy sack or a, or a tent, I'm excuse me, a tarp where you could pitch it at a different angle or whatever would come more into play. The problem with that, that early season hunt, I mean, you don't, typically have to deal with a lot of rain if it does rain it's usually just a rain shower and then it's over um and it's not a prolonged stretch uh but bugs you know you get the mosquitoes um not so much if you're up on some of the ridges but if you're down at the head of a valley where there's a little more moisture and stuff then uh then the mosquitoes can really be a um a problem and so then going with a you know if you're gonna do the bivy sack route make sure you got one with a um, mosquito netting on it yeah, and we we looked um, probably the best one I've used as far as a bivy. It was one pound twelve ounces, um, and it was a big Agnes three wire bivy. Um, it had a lot of heads. It wasn't like a bivy, but it was a bivy. Um, yeah, I could fit my boots, camera gear, clothing up in the head of it. Um, now, having said all of that, um, Amy's going to try it this year, right? My my girlfriend or fiance, and uh, she slept in a that giant sawtooth so she you know room for days and then a hilleberg onion gt2 which is another fairly decent sized shelter so we may it may be a one and done thing we may go out she's like fuck this bivy and get rid of it you know you just i don't know but we're gonna do, try that and see what she likes the problem we had uh some of those fishing trips last year was there's no place i mean you're on snow or there's a small patch to put your shelter which we can't we camped on snow I guess just the one time. Yeah. Actually, we were on a lake because it was actually the only flat spot we could find. Um, so there's definitely pros and and cons to to each. A couple of those trips, I wish I would have brought a stove, and I didn't because it was just so damn cold. And other trips, I'm like, I wish I would have just brought nothing and except a Tyvek sheet and just slept on the ground because the weather's so nice. I think where people get into trouble is they listen to people that haven't really actually uh, vetted the the actual tools at hand and they speak about them and, and uh, maybe aren't speaking as intelligently as they probably could. Um, and then people buy it, take it as gospel and then get themselves into a little bit of trouble or maybe waste money on something they, they don't want. And that's including tarps. Not everybody's built for a, a tarp. I, I know the guys that do use tarps are hardcore, but I know people that are hardcore haters of tarps. They just aren't going to like a bivy, same thing. They're not going to use them. So, uh, but I use that hubba for, well, man, three or f- three years, I guess. Um, that was like super big in 05 or 06. That was one of the shelters to have. I right. think it was, you might remember, was it before that? That's when I remember getting one was 06, I think. Yeah, I think I had, uh, 
I had one, the single, so there's the hubba, which is the one person, the hubba hubba is the two person, and the mother hubba is the three. Yeah. And uh, I want to say that I had a a hubba probably in as early as 2002. Yeah. Yeah, that would make that would that would make sense because I knew they were out before I got mine, um, and that was in uh, one of those transitional times when you're so broke that you're not in a position that that we're probably all in now to try everything, and um, trying to drop five hundred bucks on a shelter mm-hmm. um, or even three hundred, and not knowing what you're getting into and wondering if it's any good, um, you know, it's a big purchase when you you know especially kids and everything yeah. else, so. It uh, it can be a, a strain or whatever trying to figure out what's right, especially when I'm giving advice because, um, you know, anybody that brings up rifle hunting in fourth season or third season or even second, it's a lot easier decision for me to sway them to get a stove and everything. But for, for archery hunting, um, early season especially, you know, a guy's on a budget, sometimes it's just as easy for them to, 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 to bring a Tyvek sheet in, in a small tarp um, whether it be from ours or someone else, cause it is cheaper. Um, but they need to know what they're getting themselves into and, and bugs would be one of the, the bad ones if they're not up real high. Um, cause they can be pretty crappy unless you're above tree line where they're not so not existent so much. So I think the guys that are doing the, the tarp and quilt combination are, I don't know if they're brave, dumb, or reckless. <laughs> that would be me yeah holy cow i mean i haven't done it so i'm only looking at it from a logistical standpoint and thinking about you know wind blowing under your tarp and then you have a quilt that's kind of wrapped and tucked underneath your your sleeping pad ideally Um, but then you roll over and it lifts the corner and you're getting a air-conditioned blast you know into your into your otherwise warm sleeping sleeping bag. Yeah, that, I've always I've always gone with an extra wide quilts for that reason, so I could tuck it under. And the one we have coming is yeah. is a little wider than most, so you can tuck it under for those reasons. Yeah, they finally beat me down enough to make a quilt. I'm not a quilt fan either. I almost uh, died. These are when uh, I th- you might have heard me talk uh, when I read an article by you and Cameron about footwear. Um, I think you guys were talking back and forth between flexible and stiff. I talked about it on the podcast. That was also those times of which I'm sure you've been there when you're testing yeah. new gear. Right? I did. I bought the super ultra lightweight bug for one trip. Um, never again, right? But I brought the 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 little can beer can stove um, with uh, not white gas, but um, alcohol. alcohol. Mm-hmm. The alcohol stove, I tried an Esbit stove, uh, did the quilt thing, super ultra lightweight, everything. And well, I had to, and I'm a tough bastard and I had to come off the mountain. I was that cold. I probably did a thousand push ups that night to stay warm. A storm came in, one of the poles snapped um, on the tent from the wind. Um, normally, when it gets that cold, even though you're not supposed to, I'll crank on the uh, MSR reactor and warm the hands up. I, I, my dumbass only weighed out enough um, alcohol for one extra meal, right? Uh, this is how stupid I was. Um, and so that wasn't a, an option. I couldn't burn shit. Um, there was no trees around to make a fire. Uh, and so, I, I mean, out of one of those things, that cold air-conditioned blast up the ass was <laughs> – I mean, I remember every time I rolled over, 
I had a giant gust go into my butt cheek, just whoosh, of cold, cold air. Now there's ways around that. I could have got a bigger uh, quilt, but I just thought, you know, I just like a bag. It's just security or whatever, and I've stuck with them. But they've they have made some leaps and bounds in in quilts. Um, I guess. I mean, we're the one we're making is is. Um, you know, we're insulating the foot box a bit more than the rest of the body because, you know, people's feet get cold, things like that. But that was definitely more Frank driven um, than Aaron driven. <laughs> <laughs> but what uh, actually what um, not to get off the subject of this, but kind of along the lines of this, have we covered about what you wanted to on the, the shelter stuff? Yeah. Yep. I think so. Well, uh, gear failures. What are some of the most epic holy shit gear failures you've had. Cause you talked about breaking the tent pole breaking that I would, I would consider when I've had tent failures as an epic crisis gear failure, uh, when they're bad, but have you had any other ones where you're just like, screw this thing? Uh, I had a frame break on a backpack. Um, fortunately I was, uh, I wasn't loaded down with meat, but yeah. at the same time, it was a real head scratcher because had I shot something, then it was... Was like that a out. recently? No, it was, uh, I want to say it was 2011. Yeah. So about six, yeah, six years ago. Yeah. So quite, it was quite a while ago. I don't know if that pack is still in production or not, but I think they made some changes to it to, to fix that. Um, I had another pack where the shoulder strap tore off. Um and uh, that one was a little bit tough to recover from. Yeah. I've had, you know, of course, buckles break, <laughs> waist buckles break. And um, the couple of times I had the tent poles break, um, strikers go out on uh, on my um, – Stoves. On, uh, yeah, on my jet boil, um, you know, run out of fuel, but that was my own – dumb thing you know yeah. grab an empty can almost empty canister instead of a full <laughs> one of course that's not a gear failure that's a a, a user error um i've had uh you know a boot blow boots blow out and that was a, another thing that was on my list to talk about was lightweight versus uh stiffer boots um but we can get to that uh i think man you know i've been fairly fortunate i haven't had too many catastrophic failures i've been lucky with failures of my own but i've been on trips with guys that have had uh, the boot thing being one um I, I won't mention companies names but um one specifically the sole seemed to just fall off the boot um uh you know and duct tape and you know you only bring out so much repair right you know stuff to to fix those um the belts um we talked about the pack before but the internal frame breaking on a on a pack like i broke a bunch of those but i had the belt rip off on that pack in half so when i tightened it it was just sewn into this like plastic piece on each side um where it attached and that ripped off so when i tightened it my belt just kind of flew forward mm -hmm. um and that was on a pack i think you've used and that was um there's kind of transition in that company because the pack i had of theirs before that didn't break uh, it had been pretty, um, uh, pretty dependable. And then after that, everything, I don't know what happened. Everything kind of went to, to, to shit, but some of the other, you know, gear failures I've seen is a uh, fogged up, um, range finders. It's even though the people don't think about right. that a lot, 
uh, fogged up rangefinders are another big one, especially when you see the guy on the stock doing this over and over and you're like, I wonder what he's doing. He must be really confirming the hell out of that. Uh, his shit was fogged up. Um, uh, so it's another one. And then obviously all the normal stuff, which isn't really, I would say too catastrophic, really boot and tent failures, um, uh, other than a weapon are going to be the ones that really, you kind of work your way around. I've melted lots of sleeping bags and crap like that, but, um, even that I could patch up and wean my way, you know, and kind of make it through. Um, I watched James Pecker blow. We had a goat hunt on Mount Baker. I don't know how far we were in. Um, I built a pretty big fire to stay warm. He melted a hole through his bag and pad and dry sack. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it went, there were so many holes and shit. We didn't have enough patch kit to patch them all. Um, I gave him all my clothes I had. He put them on at night. We made it two more nights. He slept all night on the ground in a bivy. Um, I slept in a bivy on a pad, and we made it a couple more nights and then went back. But I was just thinking, man, that that was as bad as it could get because, I mean, half his down from the upper part of his bag blew out. I mean, it looked like he oh, got man. attacked by a duck um, or, or a goose. But What, what movie was that? that uh, it was a probably 20 years ago i saw this movie and it might have been older than that if i remember correctly somewhere in that vintage but there was a a scene where they were camping at a campground and uh some bear came into the camp and this person gets out and is hopping away in their sleep bag the bear takes a swat at him and there's a big big old puff of feathers (laughs) i I don't i don't think i ever saw that but that's what it looked like as hell (laughs) yeah that is funny what uh, what did you want to cover on the the footwear stuff oh it's just uh you know, I, I've listened to you, um, you know, a good many of the podcasts you and Brian have done. And I um, and I have taken note that you're a, a fan of the stiffer kind of mountaineering type boots. And and I just wanted to maybe share a perspective from the other side of the table there on the, um, you know, if I could get away with ballet slippers, then that's what I'd I'd wear just from the perspective of uh, when I'm, um, you know, when I'm negotiating like uh stalking deer through the cliffs or or rocks and what have you i want to have as much flexibility in my feet as i possibly can mm-hmm. and uh to the point where you know i've worn stiffer boots on uh on mountain hunts and and maybe this uh um, you know, I, it may not be as critical from an elk hunting standpoint, the stiffer boot versus the, the lighter, more flexible boot, but just negotiating your way around through rock slides and what have you and trying to maintain your balance and, and your agility. Um, I find that, um, you know, a lightweight, flexible shoe is like imperative. And then if you look at it um, from the standpoint from a... Um, a uh, um, energy consumption, you know, hiking and you're, you're lifting another, you know, say three quarters of a pound on each foot um, all day long covering miles, then um, it, it becomes uh, from a uh, energy conservation standpoint, um, having lighter, lighter weight shoes compared to heavier ones. Um, you know, if you think about doing curls all day long and, uh, you're curling a five pound weight versus a 10 pound weight, you know, you may not notice it too much in the beginning, but by the end of the day, that accumulative effect of how much weight you've lifted, um, you're going to be consuming a lot more energy, you know, wearing a, a heavier boot. 
and I uh, and I will fully recognize the uh, um, you know the benefits of a heavier, stiffer boot from a foot comfort standpoint. Your feet definitely get more of a workout. Um, you know, with a lighter weight foot, your or excuse me, lighter weight shoe that provides less support. You know, your your feet are going to move around in a more. Um, your feet are going to end up you know kind of getting splayed out more, if you will, under that heavier weight. But um, I, I think it kind of goes back to that um, that uh, argument maybe of the um, of the uh, um, lightweight tents versus, you know, a four season tent or what have you, where you kind of cater what your needs are. Um, but even so, I mean, I, I backpacking in carrying a heavy pack, I'll still go with a lightweight shoe knowing that I'm going to, you know, my feet are going to take a little bit more of a beating on that way in. But then the next, you know, week or nine days while my gears for the most part in a pile there, um, you know, at my camp that uh, I'll be cruising around with a lighter pack during that time. Yeah, no. And I would actually, I think that one is genetics. Um, genetically, you probably have maybe tough. So what happened with me? Cause I listened to you and I fucked my feet up. It's what wow. happened. I got a plantar fasciitis and my arches dropped. Um, that could be 10 guys. I could be the one it happened to. That's when I started wearing stiffer boots. I'd worn stiffer a little bit before. And when I say that, I don't always wear, I mean, sometimes we wear flexible boots, but I mean, on a mountain hunt, um, I think a lot of it is too, um, I carry out 150 and I think that's part of the, pro not saying, I don't know what you carry out, but I think where the, the issue with me came probably wasn't on the way in or during, it was on the way out wearing that and my, my arches flattened and I've gained a full size in footwear, um, cause my feet have grown. Right. Um, so I would say, and this is where I'm glad you're on here as well as Frank. And I, I don't, I don't know your background at all, but I mean, it, you were, Frank wears stiff boots too. Um, I think where it comes into play where I, <clears throat> the only reason why I mentioned what I wear is so people know there's different like schools of thought sure. and the, the guys that get a hold of me that get plantar fasciitis, I generally try to push them to a stiffer boot or a custom orthotic. Quite honestly, the guys that wear soft boots, they don't get a hold of me because they don't get foot problems. If that makes any sense, yeah, like for sure. they already know. So I agree with everything you say. It's easier to maneuver with flexible boot and everything else. What, what got me, um, was one, they blow out easier, which I think is just something you need to know. Like you're probably going to buy a set of boots a year or something. Yeah, 100%. Um, but, um, I think genetically, Brian is a great example. He, he's like part Native American. His feet, he can wear sandals. Doesn't matter. He can wear whatever he wants. Um, I mean, he did get hot spots from side hilling. Um, but where I've noticed, like, and you, we can, you know, ask him later, Packing out six, seven, eight animals a year and, and those loads being from 120 to 150, that's what fucked my feet up. I mean, that's what did it was was the soft and it, it flattening. And I even wore when the full moon production guys, Anthony, came out yep. wearing Solomon's. Yep. I did that, too, which made it even worse because my ankles could handle it, um, you know, and everything else. But what killed it, it was that. And the other thing I did notice, and it's kind of twofold, the mountaineering boots now, it's kind of a moot point um in weight in a lot of ways they've gotten them down to where they're about the same weight in a lot or some of the different models and i don't know how much you pay attention because that is something that i do pay attention to um 
like these here, kind of a medium one, but like my, um, I've got a pretty stiff set from Scarpa called a Zodiac. Um, you, it's a way, it's one of the lightest boots made, uh, pretty stiff shank that, um, it's kind of a happy medium where I think where I gain is climbing when my foot's not flexing and I'm not getting as much leg fatigue, um, from my foot flexing and transferring up through the calf muscle. I can out climb myself, um, with a stiffer boot than I can with a less flexible or more flexible boot. Um, so it's kind of definitely two schools of thought and there's not a right or wrong one. I just think that, um, in some cases, some people should never wear stiff boots. I mean, they probably just shouldn't, they don't need to. And in other cases they shouldn't wear flexible, like in my case, flexible boots. Cause it did, dude, I got serious foot problems from it, but I think it was more the amount of weight carrying out. Yeah. I think, you know, you start carrying that kind of weight. Um, <laughs> and, and if you don't have everything right from a structure standpoint, then you're going to be asking for problems from, yeah. a, you know, on, on your joints and what have you. And that's another thing. I mean, I've got a handful of years on you age wise and, and I didn't do my body any justice, you know, early <laughs> on with, uh, not only just from, you know, from the hunting stand backpack hunting standpoint, but even more so from just my day job, I did construction for 25 years and it wasn't, you know, 25 years of 40 hour weeks, it was 25 years, uh, 70 to hundred hour weeks. And, and so just that accumulated wear and tear in my body, um, has left me in a, you know, a more debilitated state than I would be otherwise. But from a longevity standpoint, um, you know, I listened to you and Brian talk about your hundred plus pound loads and I've carried out more than a handful of those loads myself. And I just, you know, I can remember being 20, 25, 30, 40 years old. And, and, uh, you know, you kind of always pushing yourself and pushing yourself and, and, um, there's a certain amount of miles, mileage when things start <laughs> to catch up to you. And I just yeah. want to caution you. I mean, I've been nursing a, a pretty sore back from, you know, a partially compressed disc from too many years, uh, too many hours of work. And, and, uh, um, I've carried out, you know, the last really heavy load I carried out, I shot a bear. And I, when I got back, it was 117 pounds and, and uh, I think next time it'll be two loads yeah. as opposed to, you know, trying to muscle it out in one heavy one. Yeah. And I can't, I mean, I'm going to continue doing it, but I can't argue with what you're saying, um, you know, because it's, it's true. I don't know what we had last year coming out with Brian's, but it's, I mean, it's pretty good, pretty decent load. But I think the one thing, um, and that, dude, I'm glad you're talking about this because at least you're vetted, right? You're not full of shit. You've already you've been there and been down that road. You never really worked out, and I would be curious to see if that made it worse or made it better. If that makes any sense, like lower back problems are generally from a weak core. Mm-hmm. Is it because you have a weak core, or is it from labor? Because I did commercial glass packing giant, and I could tell you that's catching me. It's not catching me in my legs, dude. Mm-hmm. My legs are solid. My elbows from curling glass, putting it in the hole. They're, they're fucked. I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, he, he'll see me, I'm popping ibuprofen occasionally because I literally, I can't curl, you know, anything and that's caught up to me. My legs so far have been good, but I, I would be a liar to say, I mean, I haven't had an injury yet that these heavier pack outs aren't taking a toll on the longevity of my, my backpack hunting career um, or whatever you want to call sure. it. Cause I mean, 
I'm a bigger guy, so I can handle more than maybe a guy that weighs 150 pounds, but maybe I can't. I mean, only time will will tell. I mean, knock on wood so far at, at 41, no issues down in my legs or my back, but my, my arms have definitely – dude, there's problems. The, I mean, well, running a, good, a cordless drill is – like yeah. now, I've just ran it too much, and that, that – that tendon in here and here from from just running hammer drills and shit over and over is, is caught up to me. Yeah, the good thing for you um, for what you're doing now is that you're not putting a lot of mileage, you know, on your arms. And, uh, you know, me, it's been my knees and my back. And yeah. uh, fortunately, I mean, I my knees have been pretty good since I quit doing flooring. Um, but if I get back, you know, and, and did a floor for a couple of days, it'd be Bad. I'd be aching again. Do you think some of it w- working out would have helped at all? Um, you know, I was in pretty good shape through my hardwood flooring year. I think it's just, I mean, when you're nailing down a hardwood floor, you're running a edger, the sander that runs around the <laughs> yeah. edge of the building and, and you're, you know, doing that for, you know, if you're working a 14 hour day, you might be, you know, bent over literally at your waist for six hours of that time. Yeah. And, I uh, I think that no matter what kind of shape you're in, if you subject yourself to that for that length of time and you're you're kind of torquing you know your body in the same manner over and over as you're swinging that hammer you know it's the left side of my lower back that's giving me problems and it was dragging the nail gun with my left hand swinging with the right so you're kind of got that that same motion over and over and over again and maybe a more balanced exercise program would have done it but at that point in time I was so laser focused on just working that I you know having the time to do that and then prioritizing it it just wasn't in my plans yeah no and i mean i feel your pain because it was hard when i was was lifting to go you work a 10-hour day packing glass up and down stairs and hanging out of windows and then oh i can't wait to get home and go to the gym and carry more heavy shit and uh again on my my lower body i've been lucky but my upper body i ripped a bicep off a few years ago i don't know what i detached in my right arm on phil sheep on i fell down and i I put my hand on the boulder when I slipped and whatever it did, I was curl- curled up like a ball for like 30 seconds. I thought I ripped, I didn't even want to look at my arm. I thought I ripped something off, oh, but, uh, but no, I, I agree. I mean, I just think that, um, it would be very, very difficult for me to get ever out of stiff boots because as comfortable as a soft one is for you, I put a soft one on and I, it aimed for me. Mm-hmm. I just can't do it. And it's weird having to, vastly different perspectives because i've had um that lost portiva what is it a cube yeah it's like a moccasin flex it i just i can't do it i mean i wear them to work i just it's that literally that foreign and uncomfortable to me and so it's weird um having the both perspectives and that's what i heard you and uh cam talking about and believe me i bought into your school of thought it's just i was one of those guys that uh and i think this is what is the most important uh, for people listening, there's no right or wrong. It's what's right or wrong for you. Because I know I've put people in stiff boots that I should not have. They came out of it. Fred Baum. I mean, he basically, he's built like you. He's a big wall climber. He wears he, like you, he'd wear ballerina slippers. I mean, he's just not a stiff boot guy where me, I put on something flexible and it's like, it's just yeah. not, not for me. So I know it's good to hear both sides. Do you wear any custom orthotics or anything? Um, I do on my daily walking around. Um, yeah, I, from again, damage from doing hardwood floors. I, um, I had a collapsed 
metatarsal um, in my right foot. Mm-hmm. So I've got some orthotics that I um, that I wear you know, on a daily basis. And, and when I remember, I bring them hunting with me, but yeah. oftentimes it doesn't make the cut. Well, and I mean, while we're talking about this, you wear you had recommended probably in my opinion one of the shittiest boots ever made which was a danner pronghorn uh, do you still wear those no okay uh, no <laughs> i remember that yeah. was one i bought yeah and by the time i was done the freaking laces were touching from stretching from uh, side hilling they were comfortable yeah. i will say what do you wear now so now i've uh i've been i've got a pair of crispies um the uh the Laponias. Yeah. Those are pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and actually they're stiffer than what I'd like. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're a great boot as far as keeping the water out. And I, uh, from a durability standpoint, they stood up better than the other lighter weight boots I, um, was wearing, you know, coming have, up recently. Have you ever had a lightweight boot not leak? Cause I, I haven't. <laughs> it's not a common, I mean, kind of what this is terrible thing to say, but, um, I mean, if I got a if I got three ten day hunts out of a pair of boots, they yeah. were doing good, and a lot of times they wouldn't last that long. Well, and I did as you're bashing on the stiff boots. I want to make sure everybody knows the the bonuses of a flexible one. They leak like the Iraqi Navy. I've never <laughs> seen a set. Now, I mean, having said that, again, Fred is a hundred percent okay with it. You're okay with it. I just for listeners chiming in, how many sets of mountaineering boots have you had leak? Um, just, just that one set yeah. that I sent back to Slewa, but other than that, they've been good. Yeah. I, I've had great luck with that. Now, having said that, it's my feet are fucking hot too. Like, I mean, they are warm boots, right? So there's times where I'm like, whew, 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 man, my feet are hot and I got to pull out the insoles and everything else. So it's not like, uh, mountaineering boots or, or all that in a bag of chips either. I mean, there's some downsides, um, to them. I would say one, I mean, being warm, I mean, other than being stiff at Kindle, uh, uh, camel fire yeah. crispy he and i i tried to get him to make me a stiff set and he's so scared nobody will buy him he ain't making them and i, I was trying to get him to go the other direction yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well and i mean i again it's important for people if you and i went in the mountains it's not like one of us is going to be faster or slower or uh whatever or like, be able to make it or not make it yeah i mean mm-hmm. i would bet you're probably going to be a little bit more agile scrambling than i would maybe in a stiffer boot everything being equal and i'll probably be able to out climb you on stiffer stuff like you know what i mean mm-hmm. normal terrain with heavy weight um everything being equal as far as physically because there's pros and cons i will i don't have a problem for with agility with the stiff boots but when i first got them yeah, I felt like I had freaking snow boots on, but yeah. I've gotten used to them. So. I mean, I kind of, I scared myself the first time I wore them because <laughs> I, I mean it was like wearing a ski boot. Yeah, that's what it felt like to me, and uh, and I felt like I was stumbling around. And um, you know, when you're rock hopping and trying to keep you know visual eyesight on whether this buck has turned his head or not, you know, and you're trying to move from one boulder to another, and uh, and you have something that feels like a cast on your foot. That's what it felt like to me. It was uh, it was sketchy. No, and I can't disagree with that. Other than now, I don't have those issues. But like we went to Tiburon Island, uh, you know, Clay was telling me buy flexible boots, um, you know, because of the reds. Like um, what do they call that? Like coral looking cinder, uh-huh. you know, to stick to them. And um, 
man, it, I, I, it's not like I didn't make it, but I, the entire time I was like, I should have bought my stiff boots cause I've gotten so accustomed to, right. to wearing them. I, I will say sometimes for a lot of people, I think a happy medium is good too. Like, um, that, that Laponia, I uh-huh. think is what it's called. This yeah. one's, um, uh, uh, Garmont tower Trek. It's fairly flexible. Um, you know, but then you, the ones he and I wear when the rubber meets the road, yeah, they're stiffer than woodpecker lips. They don't flex at all. Um, do you have a set of them on? Um, you know, he wears Salewas and I wear Scarpas for the most part. And yeah, you'd look at them and be like, kick them away. They're just. <laughs> when you put that boot on the table, I was like, man, you're going <laughs> to strap that uh, snowboard on there. Or uh, what? <laughs> and these are my flexible ones. And believe it or not, um, I will say weight wise anymore, it is a lot more of a a moot point uh tech now you're gonna pay for a lightweight mountaineering boot my my rebels um which are um god what are those dude 500 bucks ridiculous but they're the lightest mountaineering boot made they are stiff stiff like they don't flex but they're equivalent to like buying um Oh, like a Solomon Quest 4D. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a boot I'm surprised you haven't worn before. Maybe you have. That one's like right up your alley for flexibility. Yeah, I've looked at them. I haven't worn them yet. Yeah, They're, yeah, that's a good, like a, a really good boot that's flexible. Um, but again, it's funny. You know, it's it's not like one of us is going to make it faster, or slower, happier, or whatever. But it's a definitely huge. Uh, di- you know difference in what people like brian's the same way that dude can wear whatever footwear he wants he's walking around camp and bare feet i couldn't walk across this freaking floor in my <laughs> yeah. bare feet i got weenie feet i'm similar that way it's uh you know when i was a kid i could run around barefoot but no longer yeah no no kidding and i think too like you have um a hunting background and uh uh, backpacking background you know and it's same kind of as is is um you know me like i've backpacked a ton um the one thing I'll say is it used to kind of bounce back and forth with gear from, you know, backpacking to hunting um, a little bit to where now it's basically the same thing. That's why I listen to a lot of guys that climb Everest or, climb, you know, do a lot of, um, you know, trekking all over the world is because I copy their gear. Um, generally, I, most of my um, gear choices aren't from another hunter i might bounce it off of them but it's probably going to be from somebody that uh and it's as diverse on the footwear thing in the backpacking community yeah i I couldn't believe it because i i talked to 10 guys and uh, five of them are they wear um like scarpas or uh salewas or las portivas super stiff mountaineering boots everywhere they go and the other five are making fun of them for doing it because they're wearing a super lightweight boot so it's certainly not just the the hunting side of things right yeah it's interesting i mean if you look at the core gear inside your backpack and you take out you know the hunting specific stuff i mean you're really shopping in the backpacking industry not in the hunting industry yeah i'm more excited about the outdoor retailer show than i am anything else Yeah. yeah i mean that's i haven't hit ata show in the last several years but when I was hitting ATA and outdoor retailer and other miscellaneous hunting shows, outdoor retailer was always my highlight. That was the one, you know, summer OR was the, the show that I was the most looking forward to. Well, and you look at it, um, and this is always cool with, with having uh, my, my fiance Amy, when we go to clothing, because we're looking at that Patagonia R1 hoodie. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fucking Zetka and first I copied them both, right? So it's a It's a core heavyweight crew one of my favorites from Sitka and the new Halstead fleece hoodie from it's a little bit closer to the Halstead, the material, but it's a bat, it's a Patagonia hoodie. I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah. We copied all this shit from backpacking companies. Right. I mean, I, 
I feel anyway. Yeah. Like you look at a Gore-Tex rain jacket from Arcteryx. It's a Sitka Stormfront or a, you know, whatever, Cryptic, whatever, or, or, or it's the same stuff. We just put a camo pattern on it. So when I get to see that fabric three years before it's even entered into the hunting community, it's kind of cool because, yep. you know, there's a one specific material that was introduced in like 07 um, and it was Sierra Design, I think, and it was like a, a, a blended top. And here we are, fast forward to 2013, and a hunting company picks it up, um, and it's like the latest, greatest, coolest stuff. And I'm like, hell, I saw this in 07 or 08 in a backpacking community. And so it's kind of cool how right. you know all that works. Yeah, I mean, it, it, from the hunting period or hunting standpoint, why kind of reinvent the wheel? You know, yeah. if somebody's doing it right, but they're not doing it in your industry, then. Uh, you know, you could save yourself a lot of time of um, R&D there just by, um, you know, putting a camo pattern on a similar product. No, I mean, I agree. That's, what I guess, what I was trying to yeah. say was they're already doing it right. I mean, you know, guys that climb Everest and, you know, everything, I keep saying Everest, but guys that climb, right. uh, do a lot of ice climbing and things like that. Um, you can't really argue it's worked for many, many years. So it's definitely going to work for hunters now. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity to, uh, you know, learn not only from a product design standpoint but just from you know gear and technique and all that and i think a lot of people in the hunting industry get a little bit too tunnel vision of not looking outside you know our immediate circle for um for information for optics get on a birding form a most yeah. anal retentive pecker wood you'll ever meet but they're the most knowledgeable and i mean and critical Oh, that's what I mean. Yeah. Anal, yeah, yeah, most critical of glass. That's mm -hmm. a, I mean, how many people do you know? Like I'm very meat and potatoes. It's clear edge to edge yeah. and it's really bright. Yeah. It's great. Right. Man. Chromatic aberration. Well, and they do these different charts and scales. And so like, I don't, have you ever met a birder? No. Oh Lord God. It is. Have you ever talked to him much? No. It. I've talked to a couple that I shoot at them and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Birds, uh, yeah. The, uh, you know, photography side, glassing side birders, uh, and, um, man, they will start breaking down. I don't even know what the shit means when they start breaking things down on optics. And so talking about looking outside the box, birding forums are great. A lot of my high country hunting data before I get the data is off backpacking forums, looking for photos of hikers, um, where f f hikers have taken specific right, photos, right. you're not going to get it from a hunter. Yeah. And so I can at least get a, an assessment of the basin. Yeah. Um, you know, was there water there? Where were they at? Was the snow clear at the time of the year they posted? That's how we found all our fishing info. Um, if we could get to the lakes and how good it would, was YouTube videos from people getting, drinking a little bit and having a fun time and hiked into a lake. Uh, we got info from that. So definitely thinking I should have never said that because people are going to, that's probably a secret I should have kept to myself. But Outside um, the box scouting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. For, guides for various wildernesses. Oh yeah. yeah. That's a great resource right there. Yeah. No, for sure. I got on, we got on all trails. Did you get that app? Yeah. Yeah. An all trails app for hikers. Um, tells you the degree of difficulty, tells you what to look for, how many people, what it looked like. It rates it, shows you photos. Huh. So all trails is something I've used for probably three, maybe three years. And last year we used it a ton. every trip we went, we went to all trails and it tells you exactly what you need to know heading into those lakes. Um, but yeah, anyway, was there anything else you were cut gear wise you were wanting to cover? Uh, 
not specifically that I can think of. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, briefly, and you've already touched on this before, but I think it's worth reiterating, um, you know, the companies that support or at least are more open to hunting, um, you know, supporting them versus like, and, uh, and I share the sentiment and I only wanted to echo it again here, but, um, jet boil, um, you know, you've, you've, uh, expressed your experiences with jet boil and I just was going to back them up cause, uh, <laughs> I've, uh, I've spent some time talking to them at outdoor retailer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, their, their stove kind of, I think pioneered, um, a lot of the backpack hunting. Um, I mean, it's for most people that, uh, that are cooking at least are using that. It's, it's almost a generic stove, like generic name, like Q-tips yeah. as far as a stove, but, uh, they're very viable alternatives that, um, MSR reactor is a good one. And, uh, and I have abandoned my jet boil and, uh, you know, took money out of my pocket and went and bought myself, uh, a, you know, a, a stove from a company that is, um, you know, maybe doesn't outright support the hunting community, but at least isn't, uh, one that's against it. Which one are you using now? That MSR. The reactor? Yeah. Now, did you say jet boil was nice about hunting? No. Oh, I was yeah. going to say, cause I was getting ready to actually unload on you and be like, let's go call <laughs> yeah. and make a mock-up phone call. Cause yeah. literally they called me everything. Yeah. I was super surprised where MSR, I talked to the guy about a hunt, you know, like mm-hmm. he's like, dude, are you the guy that, and then I was like, oh yeah, that was me and my buddies. And, and we had a conversation. Right. So I have not had, um, as you just said, it, I, I wish everybody would burn their jet boils. That's how bad my interaction has yeah. been with them. Where MSR, I, I think it's a better stove. It's not as light. I think it's more durable. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the, the stove that, um, that really was, uh, I may not be up on the latest offerings from jet boil, but they had one, it was the soul TI It's our titanium one. Yeah. And that was, I think their lightest stove to date, which they discontinued, um, that stove. And now all their other stoves are heavier. So that weight penalty is, you know, we're talking maybe three or four ounces by going with that MSR, but it's a much better, more durable built stove. Yeah. It's 12 and only cause I just weighed all this shit. It's 12 and a half to 14 and a half. So it's two ounces. Yeah. Yeah, that tie is the one that melted on me all those times. The yeah, that, it, mine melted as well. So yeah. I mean, I it still works, but it's not at the efficiency that it was before. But uh, and like I said, it's retired and and I uh, you know other gear it's taken its place. Yeah, no, for for sure. What um, you know, talking along the lines of that, um, it sounds like you know we kind of covered boots. You like that MSR Hubba kind of series shelter? Um, I'm not sure. Are you still wearing? You wearing- did you, yeah, I, yep, yep. <laughs> you, I, I, I didn't know if you were still wearing our pack or not. Um, some of the other things like a pad. I know you had talked about uh, you got that Q core, the big daddy. The, um, and this is Jake. Oh, sorry, the Jake. Big Agnes insulated air core in the the big boy size, the the wide long one. And that's like heaven on earth. And yes, by the sir. way, Jake's not a set of car keys. He's a big bastard. Uh, what are you six three? Six two two forty two forty. So yeah, he's also a linebacker, defensive end. Um, <laughs> and then how big is that? Twenty five wide. Yeah, twenty five wide. And it's long. Um, and I went from uh, an Exped air mat in the standard size, the the twenty inch wide pad. And I'm just I'm just hanging off the sides of a twenty inch wide pad. So I I doubled my pad weight, but quadrupled my comfort. 
So it was worth the weight sacrifice. Gotcha. And then what are you running for a pad? Um, I am using, let's see, that Sea to Summit. Yeah. Um, and it's their, their ultralight. I think it's uh, under a pound. Um, Is it orange? Yellow. Uh, I want to say it's yellow. Yeah, okay. I'm pretty sure it's yellow. Okay. And I've got the um, the little looks like a dry sack that you use for inflating it. Loading it up. Yeah. Yeah. Tired of getting uh, to where I'm almost passing out and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 12,000 feet trying to blow that thing up. But it's, that's a, a pretty cool um, tool as far as, you know, you, and I think, you know, under a minute I can have that thing inflated without any huffing and puffing using that, um, that little dry bag. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think Frank, you and I both use it. Thermrest Yeah, Thermrest X-Lite. And then I've got an X-Bed, which is orange, which is, they're all 12 ounces, mm-hmm. basically. Um, Do you use any Sea to Summit stuff? I have. Um, I mean, I use their dry sacks quite a bit. Um, I tested out one of their bags not too long ago. Um, they're, um, you know, they're just right up right. the, the road. Boulder. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they bought out Neptune's uh, Mountaineering. I don't know if no, I don't even know if I'm supposed to say that, but either way, they bought Neptune's Mountaineering out, which was owned by Charlie Neptune, Patrick, owner okay. of Kafaro, and he were friends. I went into Neptune's. It was a shithole. I'm like, what happened? A company out of Texas bought them. I came back in. It was clean, and there was Sea to Summit everywhere. Huh. Well, Sea to Summit bought them out, and that's when I talked to one of the reps and tested out some of their stuff. They make good gear, really good yeah, gear. Yeah, I think that you know if you're – if you're looking at um, kind of up in your gear game from a quality and a lightweight standpoint, they make a really wide range of products and all of them are seem to be well thought out and uh, you know, are, are geared towards that lighter end of the, the uh, weight crowd there. Um, I kind of had a interesting conversation with, uh, I, I think it was the owner. I'm not totally certain, but the guy's been there the whole time. Um, the first time I went to, I think it might have been the first time I went to outdoor retailer. They had a, like a, you know, a little tiny 10 by 10 booth. And, uh, and I walked up to the guy and I'd never, you know, seen or heard a seat of summit at that point. And so I was checking out some of their stuff and, and, um, I got to talking to him and, you know, and I was, I can't remember. I might've been writing for Eastman's back then. And, uh, so I was, uh, you know, I started talking to him about testing some of their stuff and he kind of looks at, at uh, my badge there and sees I'm a hunter and he goes, I'm a vegetarian. And I was <laughs> like, okay, all right. I yeah. eat vegetables too. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> and uh, you know, he kind of had his hackles up a bit, but I, I uh, have talked to him just about every time I've been in the booth and he's uh, softened to the fact that um, somebody with one of their products might actually kill an animal with their, that in his backpack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, they're, you know, from my experience there, um, dealing with them to, to, uh, this, you know, present time they've, they've come around, it seems like from a hunting standpoint, at least. Yeah. I would say, um, you know, Arcteryx is a company, for example, that they're not one or the other. Mm-hmm. I think Arcteryx likes money. Yeah. Um, I mean, everyone likes money. Um, you know, cause they deal in the tactical community, but hide from it a bit, I, maybe not hide from it, but, uh-huh. um, you know, but I, Rab has been a company that every time I've talked to has been super cool about the hunting side of things, MSR, OR, uh, Sea to Summit. I've only had two conversations, but they were, uh-huh. they were great. Um, other companies though, that you again, like Jet Boil, but there's others that you, um, um, Piranha, I guess, which is a pant I've promoted, I guess they're super anti-hunting. Uh-huh. Um, 
the conversations I had with them weren't like that, but it wasn't like I was talking to somebody important. Right. I was just talking to a rep. Um, but, uh, the, um, cool. It was another company that was like not anti at all. They were super good for, you know, not saying go support backpacking companies, but mm-hmm. some of the different ones I've dealt with. Um, what's it? Can we think of any another, uh, Scarpa and Soleil would have been great on that. You know, they have a guide program with Scarpa, um, like a guide and outfitter program, uh, uh, which is cool. And the only reason I don't like the crispy thing, they don't make stiff boots. Um, you know what I mean? So people ask all the time and I'm like, look, they just don't make a super stiff boot. But, uh, you know, when you dive into some of these outdoor companies, um, Patagonia, it's hard for me to pin Patagonia down because they're pro earth. And so I've seen them do things very much pro hunting or good for hunting, but it didn't have shit to do with hunting. It just helped the hunter. But I've also seen them do some stuff that's pretty bad for for hunting. Right. Um, you know, I walked so. by their booth at OR <clears throat> several years ago, and there was a uh, sign up on the outside of their booth at Outdoor Retailer, something about stopping the buffalo hunt in, I, I may have been... Um, in Wyoming there at the, in the park, I yeah. think they're talking about culling some of the Buffalo and to manage them. Yeah. And, uh, they had a, a big old, you know, poster on the side of their booth. Was that four years ago? Probably. That's when I stopped wearing their shit. It was because of that poster. Uh-huh. That's the last time I've been. Yeah. Um, cause I had a conversation with them and then I say, it's hard to pin them down. Mm-hmm. I know guys very important in their company, fish and hunt, right? like way up there. But right. I think, um, it seems to me they, they, they may cater a lot more towards the, the anti, you know, side. There's definitely more money in the anti hunting side. So, um, I don't really wear, I don't think we have anything at the house Patagonia, do we? Yeah. No, I I try to stay away from that one. (laughs) Yeah. I was relieved to see, you know, having signed up for outdoor retailer, they send you, they bomb you with, you know, with emails. And, and, uh, one of them I saw though was a, um, an invitation to a seminar on getting your facts on public lands. Yeah. So it's like, finally the backpacking community is coming around. I mean, it was a major thing. They, the reason why outdoor retailer is now in Denver um, this year and moving forward and pulled out of Salt Lake is because of um, their uh, stance on, you know, selling or, or turning state lands or public lands over to state control. Yeah. And, uh, and I was glad to see that, you know, such a huge operation, um, you know, pulled the plug on that whole state of Utah and, and uh, decided they just, you know, couldn't put their money um, there if they were going to be taking such a, a, a pro um, or, kind of anti-public lands stance there yeah no i mean and that's i've read a big article on that um yeah because i had a ton of people saying hey dude your show's coming to to denver or whatever and then um the reason why Mm -hmm. came after that which is super cool but no i would agree with um um the root gear being it's you're basically backpacking gear i mean everything we use and that's when people ask me about a hunting boot i'm like don't buy a hunting boot you don't want to buy don't buy a knee tall camouflage boot you know you want a backpacking boot or hiking boot um but yeah what kind of sleeping bags do you guys run um i'm using i've got two two bags one's a 30 degree bag and one's a 10 and i so i use my 30 degree they're both western mountaineering bags and down bags Mm -hmm. and uh I use one like for my early season in Nevada and then um, even, you know, that end of uh, August in Colorado, I, I switched to that 
uh, 10 degree bag because you just never know what you're going to get when you're up there on the mountain there. Yeah, no, for sure. It's a, um, it's a great, uh, you know, really great sleeping bag made in, uh, you know, made in, in the U S and, and California. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They're in, in the, I think it's just South of San Jose, right in that area. Um, I like the, something I got that, uh, I picked up just in the last couple of years is one of those inflatable pillows. Yeah. The, those things are sweet, man. I, I have to have a pillow and I'd pile up clothes before and use that. But for, I think there, it's like 2.2 ounces or something. And it's, you know, it's about the size of a tangerine. Is it a Montbell? Um, no, I, I have a Cedar Summit one also. It? So it inflates using that same, um, that same uh, kind of dry sack style pump there. Yeah. Yeah. I think mine's a Montbell. Don't you have one too? Did I give you one? I have a cocoon. Just one from REI, the cocoon. A green on one yeah. side and that one's kind of fuzzy on one. Mine's uh, kind of harder, so I wrap it up in a yeah. jacket. But that's one of the reasons I do sleep in a hooped bivy so well is I wad all that shit at the head of it mm -hmm. to kind of – because I sleep with my head at an angle, a uh, little bit upright more yeah. than I probably should. Um, but, yeah, I use that more for air filler as I put a jacket on top of it. But I'm, I'm in agreement with the blown-up pillow. We actually, on the back of our pads, we all use them for much, so much we have an attachment – to attach those pillows to them huh. at the at the head and actually that backcountry body bag we've made which is like an ultra lightweight uh sleep system uh -huh. there's a pocket for it to put your air pad so it can't move can't um, score it out from under yeah. your head yeah that drives me nuts i'll wake up you know probably three or four times at the night kind of feeling around in my tent to retrieve my pillow <laughs> yeah yeah no for for sure um what about you're a big guy so which one what do you use uh, i've just been running a marmot hydrogen for 10 years probably yeah. and uh i've been thinking about going to one of the the big agnes pads with their bags with the cutout for the pad just so you're not claustrophobic because that hydrogen's not big it's not big no i <laughs> exactly i i'm thinking of, i've been thinking about going to a regular rectangle bag, bag over a mummy just for the sake of comfort because most of the time like back home our archery season was in july and august so it was never an issue but yeah um you hear it's going to the end of september so it's going to be a a different game i might have to change up a little bit yeah gotcha um what uh i get i mean those are the big ones really as far as like because i don't know it seems like with me i change headlamps every couple years uh he uses one i hate that i used to love <laughs> um he's got a black diamond icon and uh a good example as far as hey i love these products this icon i don't know how many i sold for people uh and then one day i went to pivot it down and it fell um, and I'm like, oh, what happened? And there's a through bolt and it tightens into this little thing the size of a pencil lead. Well, if that falls out, it's inoperable. It doesn't work oh, anymore. No. Just hanging like a dingle ball, right? Yeah. So that became on my shit list, right? That's a piece of gear where I'm like, yeah, don't don't buy this one. And I went and started using a Petzl um, RXP, I think is what it's called. But um, yeah, we could probably go on and on about all of this. Is there any other thing you want to maybe highlight before we hop off here? I think, um, I mean, I'm a, total gear junkie like you i love going through outdoor retailer and checking out all the new stuff but um i think it's important to impress on people that um you know if it comes down to hey i've got you know i'm on a fixed budget i make this much money i could um you know take an extra week off of uh of work um and go hunting and not have that, you know, 500 or 700 or thousand dollars for that week that I make, or I could take that money, invest in newer 
sweeter gear that's maybe lighter and cutting edge and all this dude take the time do the hunt gain the experience get out there in the field more the gear is not going to make that much of a difference if you i mean if it comes down to like i don't have a sleeping bag or i do have a sleeping bag then yeah buy the sleeping bag obviously but if it's like i'm going to upgrade my sleeping bag and drop four ounces in weight when I have a sleeping bag that'll work perfectly well it's just I'm going to save a little bit of weight forget it keep that sleeping bag do the hunt gain the experience and that opportunity in the field I feel like there's way too many people that are caught up on you know what they're wearing what what you know buying a new bow every year um, I mean, and this is coming from somebody who's selling stuff and would love you to buy a new bow every year. <laughs> I said the exact same thing on the podcast. I said, this is coming from a guy selling thousand dollar bows, but right. get your ass into the field yeah. and not stress. hundred percent. You know, I mean, it's all about what's going to get you a deer or what's going to get you a filled tag is, is not more fancy gear, but it's going to be more experience yeah. and you can't get more experience unless you're out there gaining that experience. Um, so, I mean, that's what I would, uh, kind of my, um, concluding thought, if you will, uh, on the gear topic. Yeah. I, only thing I would add to that is there's nothing wrong with buying shit that's two or three years old because yep. it was state of the art two or three years ago and it probably hasn't changed much. Um, and also when you purchase gear, I would say the first time you go in the field, make kind of notes and what you thought you may have needed you may not need it all. It may be, of course, I'm going to say this because I sell packs. You may need to upgrade your pack. You may need to upgrade a tent. And keep in mind where your maybe your holes are, your your gaps. Don't don't uh, don't don't upgrade it if it doesn't need to be upgraded. Only upgrade it when you when you have the money of what you actually need to upgrade. Where it either it's super heavy or it's kind of a piece of shit or whatever. Uh, don't just upgrade. To, Again, as I say that, I upgrade everything every year, it seems like. But if you're on a budget, I mean, I don't have to pay for most of this, nor you probably don't bring right. a lot of stuff free, too. Um, but when I had to buy stuff looking back, I wish I would have used that gear to kind of its fullest extent and then kind of bridged up and, and bought what I needed as, as time went on. And I, I see our trading post is an awesome place to buy used stuff, by the way. That's a great place to go shopping. <laughs> Yeah, that Craigslist is is uh, pretty darn good too. <coughs> There's a lot of gear out there to be had. Um, a lot of people, you know, recycling it or moving on to the next new latest and greatest. And you could, I mean, geez, you know, 30 years ago, I'd have killed for what we had 10 years ago. Yeah, and uh, you know, I was making do with a lot less than I have now, and still filling tags, so it can be done. Yeah, no, I know, I agree. So, well, cool, man. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on here. Um, we should probably get some work done today, I guess. But um, but yeah, it's great having you on, and I'll, we'll have to swing up at some point. And yeah, come for see sure. your shop. Yep, and that goes to anyone out there who's listening. You end up planning a trip to uh, Estes Park to come check out Rocky Mountain National Park. By all means, swing by the shop and say hi. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Sure thing.